Welcome to Smart Poker Study, the podcast dedicated to helping you play more effectively, earn more money, and be 1% better every day. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi. In last week's episode 263, I answered three questions from Poker Forge members about playing profitable poker. It's poker study time, y'all. Hello and welcome to episode 263. Now, this is a very rare occurrence. It's an interview. That's right. I actually talked to a live and blood, live and blood, flesh and blood, live human being. That's right. It's the triumphant return of Brad Wilson. You heard him back in episode 101. Yep, he broke off another hundo episodes with me back in the day, roughly three years ago now. Uh, Brad's been up to a lot of stuff since then, but he is still a poker professional, still a poker coach. He still has his incredible site, EnhanceYourEdge.com, with really good strategy uh, articles as well as training videos, and he just started up a brand new podcast called Chasing Poker Greatness. Now, in this podcast, and I think as of this recording right now, um, or this episode being released, I think he've, uh, he's dropped nine episodes on us. A few of those, Scott Long of Anti-Up Magazine, Lyle Bateman of Poker News Canada, and High Stakes Cash and Tournament Pro, Matt Berkey. So he is talking to some very notable uh, poker professionals, as well as like tireless ambassadors of the game. And his whole goal, with chasing poker greatness is to uh, share these players and these uh, poker professionals their daily habits for improving their poker game and hopefully giving you invaluable wisdom that they have gained through a life on the felt. So we'll talk about all of that in just a minute with Brad Wilson. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by The Poker Forge. It is my training membership site. Now, Just like a blacksmith takes a raw piece of metal and through hard work forms it into something useful and beautiful, that's what we do at the Poker Forge. Through focused effort both on and off the felt, Poker Forge members are forming themselves into beautifully winning players. That's where you want to be, right? Well, members get access to a growing library of strategy videos and resources that cover everything you need to become a winning poker player. And seeing as how it's November, we just kicked off a brand new theme. And the theme for November is Profitable C-Bets. That's right. We're taking it post-flop now, baby. We are giving you the strategies that you need to be the best, the most profitable post-flop player that you can be. You've already learned in prior months to get to the flop in the best possible situations, the most profitable situations. Now you're learning to take those and to make more money out of them. So if you want to become a member or if you just want to learn more, please visit thepokerforge.com today. Once again, thepokerforge.com. Alrighty, let's get to Brad Wilson. Please visit the show notes page for everything I discussed today at www.smartpokerstudy.com slash pod264. Right there are links to everything that Brad and I discuss. Well, let's get to our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Brad Wilson. Gambate. And now for our feature presentation. All righty, Brad, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's great having you. It's great being here, my friend. It's great being here. Cool beans. Do you remember the last time you were on? I remember the time period the last time that I was on. (laughs) When was it? Roughly three years ago, maybe? 
Yeah, it's been three years ago, maybe three or four years ago. Yeah, it has been a long time ago, man. You were actually episode number 101 of the Smart Poker Study podcast. You broke off a new hundo with me. That's, that's good to know. Now, what are, <laughs> yeah. we, on, what are we on now? Uh, now is, I just released episode 260, looking at my calendar, 262. So, lots mm-hmm. of episodes up since you. Not a lot of uh, significance for episode 261. <laughs> yeah, Brad Wilson, episode 263. Maybe it's not as nice as episode 269. Everybody loves the number 69, you know. But So maybe I'll save you for a few weeks. How does that sound? That sounds good. And why, <laughs> why, Sky, why, why do people love the number 69? Uh, it's well for me. It just started with Bill and Ted, man. That's right. First said, you know, it's just the funniest thing when you watch Bill and Ted the first time when you're 12 years old or whatever, and they say 69 dudes and you have no idea what that means, but you just know it's funny and you start laughing. I remember watching that movie, laughing at that. My parents looking at me and my brother, cause we were both laughing and they were thinking, do they really know what that number means? And I, honestly, I didn't know, but it was funny at the time. For what it's worth, I can tell you that... In my 13 to 16-year-old days, the password for every one of my online accounts was 696969. And I thought, oh, I'm so clever. I'm like, this is such a clever password. Come to find out, it was like the third most common passwords, like right behind password. Yeah, <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah, not very clever. Not no. Very clever. Uh, did you learn your lesson or is your new password 420, 420, 420? Um, I, we're going to have to edit this out because <laughs> now everything is just getting hacked. Dag nabbit, I gave your secret away. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. No problem. Yeah, I have a, my wife with her passwords. She makes up a brand new password for every single site. I probably do a new password every four or five sites. You know, I, I try to keep it fresh. I don't want to use the same one every single time just in case I get hacked. But she does a new one every time. So it's kind of tough for her to keep track. She has to constantly hit the forgot password, go to her email, you know, do that whole thing over and over again. This is my wife's life as well. Always yeah. forgetting the password. And yeah, it's uh, doesn't trust the digital encrypted keychains to save the password. So just a constant barrage of password resets over and over and over again. Oh, yep, yep, yep. So uh, last time you were on, Brad, it was uh, episode 101. What have you been up to since then? Just been living life, man. 101, that's a long time. That was before I discovered Bitcoin. Oh. Um, so quite a few th- quite a few things have happened. Uh, played a ton on Bovada. I took about a year off. Um, we'll call it a sabbatical to pursue some other projects outside of poker and then came back into poker when I realized that the projects that I were pursuing while fulfilling weren't really making a ton of money. Um, so got back into poker and messed around on some sites. I got cheated out of a fair amount of money, which was fairly annoying. Like a full tilt kind of super user thing or... It was a super user thing, correct, and it was on a shady Chinese poker app where basically, like, looking at a HUD, you could see that everybody's playing 50 slash 3. Like, there's eight players, and six of them are, like, 50 slash 3, and you're like, you know, this is just easy pickings. Like, these are the best games ever. And played in it for about a month and a half, and those 50 slash 3s were beating the living shit out of me. And I couldn't figure it out because they were super using, but they weren't doing it in a, in a dumb way. They were doing it in a fairly clever way where 
they their red line, their non-showdown line was just off the charts because they know when you don't have anything and they just raise you and you just fold and you just keep folding and you're like, oh, this guy folds the C-bets 82% of the time. How does he always battle me when I'm C-betting with nothing? Um, and then the flip side is like, oh, because like, you know, you flop a big hand or you have a big hand and you don't get action. You don't necessarily think about it, right? You just think, oh, they didn't have anything. So a month straight of like flopping sets or having aces and not getting action um, begins to wear on you, right? And me being very stubborn and just like knowing variance is a thing. Like I'm not, a, I'm not somebody that, I'm not, I don't believe in conspiracies against me when it comes to poker. I just kind of accept the results and move forward and just assume that, okay, variance is not on my side, so we're just going to keep battling it. And this instance, after about, it was a month and a half, um, minus about 16,000 US dollars, I finally bit the bullet and said, okay, I'm going to look at my database. I'm going to see what the hell's happening. And it took me all of about 15 minutes of looking at a database with a friend to see, oh, Jesus, um, this is not this is not a good situation. And come to find out, there were super users in the game. Not only were there super users, like two super users, there were also four or five colluders um, working in tandem as well. So I was looking at some tables. I specifically remember one. It was eight-handed, two super users, and four colluders, me, and then poor some some poor other soul who's in there trying to win with me. Uh, it was very stressful time and made me swear off the Chinese apps, actually. I bet it did, man. So within just 15 minutes, you discovered all this for yourself. So does that mean in the month leading up to it, like you were just playing a lot of poker, not actually doing a lot of off the felt studies? I was battling. I mean, so studies, for instance, like if I, if I look at my hand analysis and study how I'm playing, I'm not necessarily looking at the pool no. and their their tendencies and how they're playing, right? The only thing, the thing that did it was, you know, I just did a filter for the biggest winners and started looking at their stats. And then I see, oh, this dude's red line's going straight up. What the hell? This dude's red line's going straight up. What the hell? And then on a lot of these Chinese apps, like whenever you create an account, you get a, a user ID that's specific to you. And it's like seven or eight digits. And so I start looking at like the biggest winners on the app. And then I start seeing, oh, these 30 people are all within one digit. Um, so it's like a batch account creation type thing. Oh, that's interesting. And then each one of them is winning like $12,000. So then I just started creating aliases of all these specific accounts that are batched together. And then I started looking at the hand histories and I started like finding the spots that make you just go, what on God's earth? Like there's in no universe could that be okay. And I mean, these hands that happen, like, you know, I'm playing four to six tables. So sometimes I don't even see the hand happen because I'm not involved, right? So looking at that and then looking at all the aliases and then kind of seeing like, wow, you know, these guys have won. They, they had won um, in just that month and a half of hands that I tracked. You know, they're playing 24 hours a day. So I don't have all the hands that they're playing. This is only a small sample size, but they were up well over $100,000 just in the hands that I had. Man, that is terrible. So you were basically acting like your own security security department, right? Online fraud department catching yeah. this stuff I, I mean and i think i think that the way that it went down was pretty calculated um there's another app poker king that i'm sure lots of people have played and 
have had issues and you know the whole business model of poker king is it's sketchy to begin with i mean like there's i'm sure there are plenty of people that are listening right now they're like okay you idiot you took a shot on some sketchy app you deserve what you got but the reality is you have to test out these places you have to try to find um good spots to play if you know i I lost 15k and that's obviously a bad situation but by no means is it crippling to my bankroll and also because i found good situations in the past my good situations have far outweighed the negative um but yeah poker king basically do you want me to explain the business model of poker king sure yeah i've never heard of poker king okay so basically these free money apps how they work are they're decentralized they're play money everything's play money now you want to play on poker king you need an intermediary and they're called cashiers so you find somebody you give them like two thousand dollars the cashier they send that money to somebody somewhere else whoever the club owner is and then your account's funded then you play then when you cash out the club owner sends the money to the intermediary. The intermediary sends the money to you. And so everything's done behind the scenes by like record keepers. You know, they, they watch all these play money games and then they tally up all the balances behind the scenes. Um, and there's sounds like so, a weird way to get around the legality laws, like pachinko in Japan kind of a thing. I don't know what that is. I don't know. What okay. Pachinko well, it's, it's is. the same like physical, like brick and mortar place where you play pachinko. They're like slot machines. But once you collect your winnings, you can't actually cash them in. You got to go to a place around the corner that's detached from the building that you were in. Give them whatever it is that you give them, and then they'll give you cash. So it's a way to get around the legalities or the illegalities of gambling. Right, and you know the app started in China, so it's very prevalent there. And obviously, China has strict gambling laws. So basically, it's like okay, it's just a play money app, and everything's done behind the scenes. Um, so harder for you know the government or whoever to just shut it down. So anyway, this is the the reasoning, and I didn't know this, but I, I later found out that these agents, and so and the reason that I don't know this is because it's not me that's actually giving these people money, because. A lot of times you need a portal. You need to know somebody who is most likely Chinese who has access to these games. So over time, I've been recruited, you know, because I, I have created a bunch of content and like people know me in the poker world. They're, they they want to recruit a crusher to come in the game and make money and they want to stake them. It's like a business opportunity. So I didn't really know the behind the scenes workings, but basically everything's done via WeChat and everybody in the whole um, and the whole chain is anonymous. So like you don't know who the cashier is and you don't know who the club owner is because they don't want you to know because if you don't know, you can't report them. You can't say anything about them, right? So you get all these instances of like club owner disappearing with all the money, club own, uh, a cashier disappearing with the money. They get sent a bunch of money. They're supposed to send it to you and then they just disappear. And what can you do? They're completely anonymous. You can't track them down. You can't do anything. Um, so it's a very bad situation and not one that I would have ever gotten involved in had it been specifically my money. If I wasn't being staked, um, then I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have played in those games because it's just way too much risk and way too much possibility for some bad things to happen. So basically, you play in these Poker Master games. You deal with all this risk, and then if you win too much in the games, they kick you out. Mm. Um, so basically, it's like this horrible debacle, awful, awful system. So basically what happened was the owner of a club in Poker Master 
um, said that their alliance, which is basically just multiple clubs pooling their player pool together, um, said that we were winning too much money, kick us off, but, but they know of a place that has a bunch of amazing fish and a bunch of amazing games that you can get access to. So they funnel us to, and I say us because, you know, there's a group of us because of the backer situation. He's going to collect as many people as he can. And we communicate in a Skype group, um, you know, just talking about whatever hand history analysis and strategy and that sort of thing. So they send they send the crew to this other app, High Poker, and that's where all the scamming happens, um, which I can't imagine is a coincidence. Like basically, they're taking the pros out of their games, they're sending them to a different app, and then they're scamming those guys specifically, and they just don't give a shit. Yeah. Man, that is terrible. Sketchy AF, that's for sure. That's why we need regulated poker in the U.S. for sure. Oh, man. So you are a U.S. You know, U.S. citizen. You live in the U.S. Where do you currently play then? So I play on another Asian app. Oh, <laughs> Let me preface this. Let me preface. Oh, man, you yeah. don't learn, you learn your lessons, do you? Yeah, so I, I, I do learn my lessons, actually. So no more Poker Master or High Poker for me. Good. So basically after, after that debacle, I said, screw it. I'm going back to Bovada slash Ignition and just playing in those streets, which, by the way, Bovada and Ignition are unregulated as well. They used to be regulated, and now they're not regulated at all. Um, but that, I, I do trust them more than I trusted anywhere else. And a good friend of mine, I was at his wedding. Um, he's actually the best friend of my best friend. They're business partners. He contacted me and said that he, you know, actually my best friend told me that his business partner was involved in a poker app and was working towards growing it and was working towards all these things and like focus on security and maybe maybe I could help help him out um, in some capacity. So me and the guy got together on a phone call and I'm, you know, I need to be convinced at this point, right? I'm coming off just getting cheated on a very similar type of situation. Um, we have a conversation, PKC's Bitcoin powered um, and he told me, you know, they've recruited John Andrus, Nick Petrangelo as security consultants. They care about security. It is their number one priority, kicking out any botters, any colluders. Um, and just, you know, the, the, the thing is ran by a bunch of poker players who care more about creating a healthy ecosystem than making money. And I can say 100% that that's true because they froze thousands of accounts when they realized that there was some colluding going on. The poker community was not very thrilled about their accounts getting frozen and not being able to cash out. But it was absolutely necessary because they didn't have a team. They scaled up too fast and didn't have a team that could analyze the data um, in a very quick way. So in order to make sure that they got all the colluders, they had to freeze everybody's accounts because if you take a month to go through the data, they're just the colluders are just going to cash out and there's going to be churn. They're going to create more accounts, and then they don't get hurt. So, you know, it, it's a it's a I've learned more about security in online poker in the last six months than uh, I have previously. But um, I would say that PKC right now, Bitcoin on, Bitcoin off, the systems that they have, they've implemented just awesome security features, right? Like they've they've geo-blocked um, the five states where, uh, where online poker is legalized. So, oh. you know, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Washington, those five, um, they've blocked those. 
they've made it to where you, you have to play 250 hands at a specific stake. Um, you, there, two people can't play a specific stake if they haven't played 250 hands yet, right? And this prevents collusion. Like I said before, the churn. So like you, basically what happens is you, you create an account and you collude on it with a friend and then you take the money off and then you just make another account. So like, you know, you're, you just constantly do that. So when, it, when you have to play 250 hands at a specific stake before you can play with somebody else that, that hasn't played two, 250 hands, that, that hurts collusion in a big way. They've implemented know your customer. So people, um, you know, people who are suspected of collusion are just people who are multi, multi-accounting, which multi-accounting is fine, up to three accounts. But they, you know, basically freeze their account, ask them to provide some identification, and this helps get rid of, you know, people VPNing from Europe, and also, also the colluders. Nice man. It sounds like uh, someday you can parlay all of this uh, security knowledge and safe practices, online practices, into your own enhance your edge online poker site someday. What do you think? Very doubtful. <laughs> I see. I see how it's going for uh, Phil Galfond, uh-huh. and that is a project that my brain can't even comprehend. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, you have to be built for that kind of thing. I think it's it's not me either. It's just a massive, massive endeavor, and, and until you start really thinking about the security aspects of things, like most of the time people just play cards and we think about how things affect us. We don't really think about like the big picture, right? Like nobody wants their money frozen. They're pissed off, blah, blah, blah. Nobody wants these, these things um, put into play if they affect them and they're innocent, of course. But the reality is you got to catch these guys and you got to do it quickly. And systems have to be in place that prevent people from um, doing things like colluding and then taking money off very quickly. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. So uh, one of the reasons why I wanted you on the podcast, Brad, is because I want to talk about your own brand new podcast called Chasing Poker Greatness. You've had it out for a few weeks now, quite a few episodes out. And um, I'm, I'm really interested. I've listened to a couple episodes and things are going really well. How do you like being a podcaster for yourself? I like it a lot. I, I mean, it's, it's very fun. It's interesting. I'm finding myself more immersed in the poker world than I previously was because like, like I said, you know, I, my, most of my career, besides YouTube and, and, and Enhance Your Edge, like I'm an introverted person and I kind of stick to myself. And poker can be a solitary game if you want it to be. And so my daily process for grinding is wake up, um, play three hours, go to the gym, maybe get something to eat, and then play another three hours. Um, don't really need to talk to anybody, don't really need to do anything, don't need to travel. The podcast because you have to promote the thing. You have to talk about it. You have to reach out to people, which means you have to be engaged in social media. I'm just finding myself more and more immersed in the poker universe, kind of like I used to be when I was you know, 20 to 25 years old and you know, idolized the guys on the World Poker Tour. And when the WSOP came out, was like must-watch TV on ESPN. For sure, it was back in the day for me. I was immersed in it too, but lately I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of just, I do my podcast, I do my training videos on YouTube and stuff, but when it comes to the overall poker world, I just kind of don't pay attention. I don't read poker news that much. You know, I'm just more into playing poker and then coaching poker. All the outside peripheral stuff, that's kind of a, a secondary or just a tertiary consideration for me. 
Right. And when you when you interact, you know, with the guests that I interact with, and it's an interview show. You know, you, your thing is a solitary thing. You don't need you don't need somebody to show up and talk to them. But I have to do research, right? I need to know some stuff about the people coming on my show, and that research is going through their tweets, going through the social media, keeping track of all the relevant stuff happening in the poker world. And what it's done is, um, it, it's I feel good. I feel happy about being more immersed in the poker community and really understanding the struggles that people are going through, um, what they deal with, the future direction of poker. It's exciting and and it's something that I haven't done in a long time. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, recently, like you've been, like I think you told me off the air, like you might be 20 episodes ahead right now. Does that sound, is that about right? It's a lot. Yeah. I'm not sure how many, but it's it's a ton of episodes. And... The problem is, so like, I wanted to do a faster release schedule, but then I'm also afraid of running out of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like everybody that I interview, you know, I ask them for referrals, just people that they think would enjoy coming on, telling their story, and, um, you know, just, just talking to me. Mm-hmm. And most people give me two or three people. So then those, I send those two or three people my booking link, and then they schedule it. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at, you know, five interviews in a week um, with a two two episode release schedule every week so you just run way ahead of time but i mean it's much better than the opposite of not having enough people and scrambling every single week to get it done like i could not do the podcast i could not reach out to anybody i could record no episodes and i'm good to go for you know two months plus so pretty nice feeling it is a good feeling. The mm-hmm. problem is you don't want to talk to somebody and be like, oh, yeah, it's going to be released like, you know, 2028 or something. Like, yeah, don't, exactly. They, they forget about it. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fine line you have to walk. Yep, yep, for sure it is. Do you know, have you, have you ever listened to um, John Lee Dumas's podcast? I have. I okay. have. Cool. Yeah. So he did the same kind of thing, not the same kind of thing as you, but he did a daily podcast every single day. He would batch them like 12 or like two weeks worth on one day and then release them over two weeks. Uh, it, it keeps you constantly busy. Like you right now, twice a week podcast. I started doing that and that was just too much for me trying to come up with my own content twice a week. But for you, I guess when you're doing interviews and it's I guess you're probably pretty thankful that all your guests who are giving you um, contacts to other guests too, like um, uh did you, for example, I, I can't remember. So <laughs> I didn't mention this to my podcast, but you interviewed me about a week ago and you said that episode is probably going to come out within the next, I don't know, two months or so, right? Correct. Cool yeah. Beans, yeah. And I can't remember if I gave you any names. Did I give you some names of people to interview? I don't think so. I will make a note of that because I do have a few people, uh, my own contacts who might be pretty cool for you to interview You know, sure. on your podcast. Sure. Yeah, awesome. of course. So, for chasing poker greatness, you talk to so many different poker pros as well as like poker ambassadors like Scott Long, um, uh, tournament That's directors, savage. all these kinds of yeah, oh yeah, exactly, tournament directors, all these kinds of people. What are some of the big takeaways that you've learned from some of these interviews recently? Like I, I've learned so much just in that you know, like I said, poker can feel like a solitary venture, and the feelings and thoughts that you go through. You, you can apply them to yourself and not realize that even amazing players, guys who have won millions of dollars, guys playing super high stakes, all these people go through a very similar thing, right? They question fulfillment. They question their life choices. They question all of these things. And that for me is probably the most empowering lesson is like, okay, you know, I, I think that 
there are benefits into believing you're unique, but there's benefits in knowing that like the struggles that you have, other people have them as well. It makes you not feel like super weak. Um, I can, cause I can tell you early on in my career, I told people we play together at a poker table. We can be best of friends. I'm going to do everything in my power to bust you when we're sitting at a poker table. And I was ruthless and that was just how it was. I'm not saying that I'm not ruthless anymore, but I was extremely ruthless. And I have a story that captures this and it's a little embarrassing to me now, but I had a friend who asked me to borrow a thousand dollars because you know he, he had the money, whatever, it just wasn't available. He asked me to borrow a thousand dollars so he could stay in action um, for the next night. Uh, anyway, and he was going to pay me back in like a week or whatever. So we're battling and we're playing at the same table, right? We're playing, uh, I think it was two, five, no limit. And I specifically remember him and I getting involved in a big pot and I was bluffing and I knew, right? Like I knew that he had no money after this thousand dollars and I freaking put the screws to him and ran a massive bluff and like on the river and then this is the worst part of the story like i ran run this massive bluff and somebody's like show a card and i showed one of the cards to my friend just to put him in massive massive turmoil um yeah i'm not super proud of that but like the goal for me was to get an edge over my opponents. He's an opponent. And I knew that he didn't have very much money on him. And I also knew that showing a card would likely send him on tilt. And that is just, that's a cutthroat and ruthless thing that I'm actually quite ashamed of now as I'm a 35 year old man. Uh, I gotcha. But maybe that's where like the name of your website, Enhance Your Edge came from. I mean, you were the kind of guy back in the day who would push every single edge and you took advantage of your knowledge of his scared money, uh, scared money mentality, you know? I did, and I'm not saying that there's, there's necessarily. I'm not saying that there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but like, just nowadays, I I feel like I have a little more empathy. I I beat people out of pots. I'm not I'm not gonna not beat somebody out of the maximum. I'm going to get the maximum, but I'm not gonna feel good about it. Like I'm not always gonna feel good about it. You know, there are specific people who I I know their life situation and you know they're recreational players that don't have tons of money, and I get no joy out of beating them. So it sounds like uh, earlier, you know, online players, we can be solitaire. We don't know squat about Bob 783 or Susie 456 across the table from us, right? We don't know their life situation. But if you're knowing uh, currently, you know, live players that you play with their life situation, it sounds like you play in a lot of home games or maybe like local brick and mortar card room games too, as well as online. No, I don't. I, I don't play okay. much live. I haven't played much live in probably four years or mm. so. Um, I got married, met my wife, and traveling and playing high stakes poker living out of a hotel is not conducive to a healthy relationship and my wife is you know the most important person in my whole entire world so i i decided to stay home and that was sort of when i got back into bovada the ignition world and that is when enhance your edge was born actually that was when i i made started making training videos Nice, man. And so you are currently with uh, Chasing Poker Greatness. You're kind of like in the process of revamping EnhanceYourEdge.com as well, right? Because I've seen recently, it seems like every four or five days, you are putting up brand new strategy articles. Yeah, yeah. And that came a lot too with PKC. Um, you know, I, I started playing PKC. Back, back, to, back to my story of what I've been doing. So I start playing PKC and I do very, very well. Um, I get some social proof that the games are good. I'm doing well. I'm. It's 
you know, hour for hour, it's about 5x better than Ignition or Bovada would have been. And it was sustainable, you know, over four or five months. And I was put into a position to where, you know, I have a platform. I am capable of creating content. I do have students. And my thought at the time is, okay, my students, my audience, these people, they're going to play somewhere, right? They're going to play cards somewhere. And I went through the whole high poker debacle. And I just had this thought, like, I don't want them to play on high poker. I don't want them to go through the shit that I went through. Um, And it's also financially beneficial to me. I have a financial incentive to tell people about PKC. So I just started telling my students and saying, look, like, this is a legitimate site. I've played on it. I've put in, you know, whatever, 100,000 plus hands. I put in hours. I know the people involved. I feel very comfortable recommending it to people. And so that was sort of where the revamping of Enhance Your Edge came from because I, I decided to basically become an affiliate, a community manager for PKC and invest my time into getting people to play. Um, and so then I have a business, right? Like I have a business model with a clear path to make money. So the articles, most of the articles I actually didn't write. I have writers on my team. We come up with topics, we research them, and then they churn them out and release them. Nice, man. So you're more than just a one-man band over there at Enhance Your Edge. Yes, yes, I am. I, I have to be. I, I do my streams and release the video content and that sort of thing. And that's what I'm leaning towards doing more now. I found that you know one of my goals is growing YouTube um, and doing more things off the felt, creating different revenue streams. I mean, this is another thing that I've learned from Chasing Poker Greatness. You need revenue streams to survive as a poker player. It's not something – it's like how everybody says – start saving for retirement in your 20s like and people don't do it they just like blow off the advice right but in your poker career start creating different revenue streams when you're a few years in because when thing when when shit gets real and shit goes down and it inevitably does that's your fallback plan like that's what you need that's what keeps you afloat if you get to the point to where like you hit a black friday and you have no backup plan you can't just manufacture one out of thin air, right? Like it takes years and years of content, years and years of audience building. You just have to get in there and do your thing. Even if, you, you know, it's easy to have like this imposter syndrome where you're like, who, who cares about what I have to say or what I have to do? And I mean, I even had this for the first YouTube video that I ever made. It's like, but I, I didn't make any content before that, and it's like, who cares? Like, who care? Who wants to hear what I have to say about poker, right? And I was probably, you know, this is 2015, so I'm 11 years into my career and playing high stakes and playing at a high level. I just didn't understand the market. I didn't understand that. Oh yeah, there are lots of people that want to hear what I have to say. So like, I think that creating videos, creating content, moving in that direction early on, if nothing else, is even as like a journaling tool for you to go back every few years and watch these videos and hear your thought processes and you can have a tangible thing you can see, oh, I, I was here one year ago. I may not feel any different today. However, this is where I am today and I've grown a lot as a poker player over the last year and that's a very empowering thing. Um, kind of like you know, you never notice how your looks change until you see a picture of yourself a few years 
younger, and then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I am looking worse today than I was two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, I, I, I know that feeling right there, looking at old 18-year-old high school pictures the other day with my boys. <laughs> oh my gosh, I used to look like that. I look kind of like how I do now, but I was a little bit thinner, less bags under my eyes, less gray in the hair, less, you know, no beard at all. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you don't realize it until you look at the past to see where you're, where you're at currently. You know, I agree with you. And the whole imposter syndrome theme, Man, I experienced that big time when I started just the Smart Poke Study blog and then the podcast and then YouTube videos. I felt like, who wants to hear from me? Who am I to talk? I ain't no Phil Hellmuth or, or just anybody, you know what I mean? Who am I to tell anybody's strategy? But then over time, once you start doing it, you just get into it. You get some good responses from people. And I would imagine so far with Chasing Poker Greatness, you've probably got some pretty good feedback from your audiences, right? Are they enjoying the episodes? For sure. The the episodes are getting enjoyed. And the feedback that I love the most is actually the feedback that I get from my guests. You know, mm-hmm. um, when the interview closes down and you talk to Berkey and he, he tells me, you know, you have an amazing product. I love this. I want to, uh, you know, I want to refer to you all the people that I know. You know, this was such a joy um, when I'm getting off the line with Jungle Man and Jungle Man's like, you know, this was an honor talking to you. Like, these are things that make me feel good. Um, even my friend, uh, DGAF, who people may or may not have heard of, he's on the 2 plus 2 threads. He's, he's got like a million views, basically his life story. I did not know him as DGAF. I met him through live poker and later found out that, that he's like two plus two famous for whatever that's worth. (laughs) Um, and, um, even him, like he told me afterwards, like when we got off the line, he was just so happy. Like he had this adrenaline. He was so happy after our conversation that he's just driving in his car. Like he answered a telemarketer's call because he felt so just loose and, and stress-free and like, Talking to these these people for me uh, can be almost like a drug. Like I feel that same energy, that adrenaline, whenever I, I get off the line. Like I'm just pumped up, um, and that 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 that's a, a very very good feeling, and and one of the major benefits of doing the show. Nice man. Plus, you get to develop just all those contacts and make friends with people who, and who knows, that could turn into some kind of a, 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 a cooperative joint effort in the future, which is always nice. Yeah, as Tim Ferriss says, you know, your your network is your net worth. Hmm. And I told you about the sabbatical that I did a year ago, or a few. Uh, I guess now it's been a few years ago. But you know, I interviewed high achievers. One of those uh, was an Olympian, Adam Creek. And me and Adam still text. You know, this is a year and a half. We still text. We talk to each other on a regular basis. He came to Atlanta. We went and had dinner and talked for four hours, drank some sake. Like these relationships, you know, you can say, or I can say, like monetarily, the other podcast was an epic fail, which it was monetarily. But these relationships, these just amazing people that impact your life in a positive way, those are, you know, invaluable to me. Yeah. I bet they are. Nice, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, Brad. I really do appreciate it. How can people find your podcast and uh, find you online? Uh, EnhanceYourEdge.com, Chasing Poker Greatness on all of the podcast platforms, and I'm Enhance Your Edge on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all the social media things. All righty. Well, thanks again, Brad, uh, for your time today. And um, um, oh, for everybody, of course, in the show notes uh, for today's episode, you can find links to Brad Wilson's site, EnhanceYourEdge.com, uh, as well as Chasing Poker Greatness right there for you. Um, well, 
Once again, thank you very much, Brad. My pleasure, man. Take care. All right, Brad Wilson, everybody. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Brad Wilson, for coming on the show today. Uh, make sure you go to smartpokerstudy.com slash pod264 for the show notes and related links for everything that we discuss. And of course, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, I invite you to check out thepokerforge.com. This is the essential resource for any poker player at any stage of the game, especially if you want to nail down and perfect your CBET strategies this month. Once again, thepokerforge.com. I'll meet you there. And of course, you can get Brad's new podcast, Chasing Poker Greatness, wherever you listen to your podcast. And of course, my other podcast, Daily Poker Tips, is right there as well. Until next time, study smart. Play much and make your next session the best one yet. Yeah.